0: to sure.
1: In the depths of the sea of God's forgiveness, removed as the east is from west, far away from all power and principality, my sins are in the depths of the sea. Gone are the stains I'm free from the bondage Free from the chains My sins are separated As darkness from dawn Praise God I'm forgiven My sins are all gone In the depths of the sea Of God's forgetfulness Removed as the east is from west. Far away from all power and principality, my sins are in the depths of the sea. In the depths of the sea of God's forgetfulness, Removed as the east is from west, far away from all power and principality, my sins are in the depths of the sea, my sins are in the depths of the sea.
2: Well, amen, aren't you glad your sins are in the depths of the sea, amen? Buried, and there's a no fishing sign placed there, amen? Well, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10 tonight. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes chapter t- 9, excuse me, verse 10. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, and we'll look at verse 10. I like this uh, passage, it's one of my favorites in the Bible. And uh, it's just, a, I guess, just an old just a good old verse. They're all good old verses, I guess, huh? But boy, I'll tell you, Ecclesiastes nine ten is one to live your life by. And um, we sound all right up there. For some reason, I feel like we're a little bit in a—I um, don't know, maybe a, just like a tunnel or something. But anyway, Ecclesiastes chapter nine verse ten. The Bible says, "Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work nor device." nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. Let's go ahead and read that one more time. I'll read it aloud. You read it silently again with me. But it says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. We thank you for the, the privilege that we have to gather tonight to just look at your word and to glean and grow from it and we do pray Lord that tonight you'd bless us we are excited about the baptisms ahead and so Lord we're anxious to get to that place but Lord in the meantime may we be able to focus for just a few moments on your word and really allow your Holy Spirit to drive home truth to just reaffirm in our hearts once again how important it is that we are careful to do things your way and in a way that brings glory to you, that we're diligent in some things, that, Lord, we are in so many ways discerning and devoted and so many characteristics and qualities that we need, Lord, to be successful on your behalf. May you help us to do just that tonight. May we leave here different for having been here, and may we leave here truly inspired to be better for you. we we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I've spoken to a number of people through the years, and a number of people that I've spoken to genuinely wanted to succeed in their Christian life. They wanted to succeed in their Christian service, and that's admirable, and that's important. And I have to believe that tonight, you're you're here this evening because you want to succeed in your Christian life and in your Christian service as well. I can't imagine that you'd be here otherwise, and I think that's wonderful, and that's so important And tonight, I think that I want to share some basic characteristics and qualities that are needed in our lives in order to succeed. Uh, A lot of times, you know, whether it's the business world or the church or wherever it might be, people are like, you know, whether it's a marriage or a family or a home, you know, what's the secret to success, you know? And you know what? Many times there's not really a whole lot of secrets, all right? All right we're going to find that it's really some basic characteristics and qualities. And and the qualities and the characteristics that I'm going to share tonight are true whether it be in the secular realm or in the sacred realm. It doesn't really matter. There are qualities and characteristics that we find are biblically based, that are truly uh, uh, scripturally founded. But, boy, if you apply them in the business world, you'll also find yourself successful. So tonight I just want to share some of those qualities, and basically preach to you a message that I might call the demands of successful service. The demands of successful service. So first of all, what's the first demand of successful service then? Let's just get right into it. First of all, if you're going to be successful in your ministry, if you're going to be successful in your Christian life, if you're going to be successful in business or a home or family or relationship or marriage, it doesn't matter, you have to be diligent. We have to be diligent. You know, today one might say disciplined even. Use that term disciplined. But a Bible term is diligent. Over in the book of Proverbs chapter 10 verse 4, the Bible says, He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. In Proverbs 12, 24, the hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. Proverbs 12, 27, The slothful man roasteth not that which he took in hunting, but the substance of a diligent man is, pre- pre- is precious. In 13, 4 of the same book, Proverbs, The soul of the sluggard desireth and have, hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5, the Bible says, The thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness, but of everyone that is hasty only to want. Proverbs 22, 29 says, Seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. In Proverbs 27, 23, the Bible says, Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks and look well to thy herds. Boy, when we think about that word diligent, it's used often, especially in the book of Proverbs as we just ran through And that definition of diligent means steady in application to business. Constant in effort or exertion to accomplish what is undertaken. Assiduous, attentive, industrious. You know, this particular word, uh, diligence takes on a special meaning in the scriptures as it emphasizes the diligence in, in following and obeying the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ. William Barclay, he, he, he shares a story about a man named uh, Coleridge who stands as a supreme example of tragedy of undiscipline. This is an amazing story. It's said, "Never did a, so great a mind produce so little." He left Cambridge University to join the army. He left the army because he could not rub down a horse. He returned to Oxford and left without a degree. He began a paper called The Watchman, which lived for ten numbers or ten issues, and then died out. He's been said, it's been said of him, quote, He lost himself in visions of work to be done that always remained to be done. Coleridge had every poetic gift but one, the gift of sustained and con- concentrated effort. In his head and in his mind, he had all kinds of books, as he said, Quote, completed save for transcription. Unquote. But the books were never composed outside of his mind because he would not face the discipline of sitting down to write them out. He goes on to say no one ever reached any eminence, and no one having reached it ever maintained it without discipline. What a sad story William Barclay shares with us about a man who had all kind of aspirations, dreams, and goals, who had all kind of ability, talent, and opportunity, and yet he found himself accomplishing nothing because he lacked in this area both discipline and diligence. How many intend on saving money? or reading a book, or exercising. Maybe you intend on losing weight. That's a good one, right? Or maybe writing a particular note to someone, or buying a gift for someone special. Maybe going for a walk or taking out the trash or cleaning your room or cutting the grass or calling a friend or spending time with your children or going out with the wife or husband, reading the Bible, or praying, attending church, witnessing to the lost. The list could go on and on and on and on with our intentions. Good intentions. But you know, they say hell is paved with good intentions. We must be diligent. We have to be diligent. See, what you, what you intend to do will never pay the bills. It'll never meet the needs. It'll never bless others. It'll only be what you do that accomplishes that goal. You know, I like things to be right. And I'm convinced, I'm convinced more than ever that, you know, fundamental Christians... Uh, and, 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 and so to speak in our, our faith needs good writers. We need men and women to step up and write from a biblical p- p- perspective. I'm talking about a traditional biblical perspective. And um, I was writing a book years ago, and, and some of you have maybe looked at it. It's not real popular. Don't go out and look for it on Amazon or anything. It's not out there, trust me. But it was just called Find the One. I still remember trying to put that together because I felt it would be a help and an encouragement to people. And so I started putting some of my lessons together. I started putting some things together to try to help people in this area of soul winning. And boy, i tell you what, I remember going through the book and, and, and writing it all out. And then, and, and then I'd have my secretary read through it and look it over, had other people look for spelling errors and making sure that it was, it was uh, grammatically correct. And it seemed like every time it came back, every time we read it, every time we reviewed it, There was something else that just wasn't right. There was a letter that was out of place. There was an extra space that didn't belong there. There was a period where it wasn't supposed to be. And I was like, man, this is never going to get finished. And it it bothered me because I wanted it to be perfect. I wanted it to be just right. And I remember that... uh, Dr. Runyon, and he is, he's graduated to heaven at this point, but I remember he came and spoke to us at a missions conference, and uh, bro- Brother Runyon, I he, he, uh, he got to talking to him about his writing because he put some books together. And I remember asking him about it, and, and I said, man, do you struggle writing books? What's your greatest difficulty? Where's, the, where's the, most, the most difficult side of it for you? And he said, well, to be honest with you, where I struggle is that I like things to be right. And I went, yes, I do too. And he said and so what I found was is that I was, I was trying to make sure that everything was perfect and every time I made a correction and every time I, I fixed a little uh, space or put another grammatical uh, n- notation in it or did whatever it might be he said I realized at one point for every time I did that somebody wasn't reading it and therefore nobody was getting anything. He said sooner or later I just had to get it out there and Just do the best I could and get it out there. It was a couple of weeks later that we went ahead and published that book. Boy, I had good intentions, but that wasn't enough. I wanted people to read a book and I wanted them to be encouraged by the teaching in it and the instruction in it and the examples in it. I wanted them to be able to go out and win more people to Christ. But the truth was, it didn't do any good. My intentions meant absolutely nothing until the book finally got out there where people could use it. See, being disciplined is about doing. Sure, there are going to be times that You're concerned it won't be the best, or you're worried that it'll fail, or you're unsure how things are going to turn out, but just do what you know is right. Discipline yourself to do it. Simply do what you know is right and let God worry about the outcome and fallout. So first of all, if if, truly, if we're going to be successful in our service, we're going to be successful in our Christian life, then first of all, we need to be diligent. We must be diligent. Number two, we must be discerning. Discerning. Because of time tonight, I'm not going to take the time to turn to it, but in the book of 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 16 through 27, we read about a king by the name of Solomon. Now Solomon has just been given an opportunity to request anything he wanted from God, Can you imagine if God came to you at night and said, Oh, by the way, you can ask of me anything you want. Well, boy, that'd be some kind of opportunity, wouldn't it? Anything. What would you ask God for? Well, we know that Solomon, he asked for wisdom that he might rule God's people well. Boy, he he was careful to say, listen, I know God placed me in this role and I realize that I'm going to need more than I have and I'm going to have to have some supernatural wisdom and understanding. And he asked God for that. Well, it wouldn't be long after he asked God for that wisdom that he would be tested. Did God give him the wisdom he needed? Did God provide him with an answer to his prayer? Of course he did. Two ladies came to him one child and you probably heard this, the the account but nonetheless they both claimed that the child was theirs what are we going to do about this one of the women finally says listen you know what let's just kill the baby and neither one of us will have it well solomon was a pretty wise guy and i say that in a very kind way and not in a you know he wasn't a wise guy you know but you know what i mean but he was a very wise man god had given him wisdom and as soon as he heard that woman make that statement, he knew that that could not have been the natural mother. There's no way that she could have wanted her child to die. And he says, give the baby to her. Well, I'll tell you what, his, the fame of Solomon grew. Decisions that he would make and, and the way he would rule and run his kingdom, it, God blessed him with wisdom and discernment. In James chapter 1, verse 5, the Bible says, If any man, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that give it to all men liberally and, and abraid not, and it shall be given him. Aren't you glad tonight that God will give you wisdom, that he'll give each of us even discernment? Boy, do we need discernment in our day and age in which we live? So many choices to be made, so many decisions. So many circumstances and situations we face every day of our life. We need discernment. If we're going to be successful in our Christian life, if we're going to be successful in the ministry God's given us, then we need discernment. When John Henry Jewett, the pastor of Newcastle in Tyne, England, began a series of children's meetings, it was the very first meeting four boys with penny whistles you know whatever you know i mean we don't even know what those are today hardly do we but you know little little whistles you know that's the best i can do but they actually had something that made that sound okay not trying to pretend anyway they rushed on into the meeting and they started playing tunes while he was trying to speak and he's up there speaking to the kids and they're over there going Man, I mean, to tell you, obviously, I mean, that was a problem. And so an usher, he rounded up the boys and he took them to the vestry where where they they faced him. They're going to have to face Henry Jewett. Can't you fellas play ten whistles any better than that? If you can't, I shall have to get Mrs. Jewett to give you some lessons. A few weeks later, the four boys gave a concert with her accompanying them on the piano. Now, I mean, our first response may have been, kick those kids out, get rid of those boys. Causing a ruckus in the house of God. How disrespectful. Not Jewett, no, not him. He was very discerning, and he understood that those boys needed to hear what God had to say, and although they may have disrupted the service, and although they may have not realized how, how much of a problem they could have caused, he also realized, I want to win their hearts, and he was discerning, and he took time to... Turn it on them. Before it was over, this they're participating in the services. we got to be discerning. We're dealing with these young people in our, our services. We're dealing with children in our, our junior churches and in our Sunday schools. We're, we're trying to deal with adults and their problems and their issues. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. We need heavenly wisdom. We need supernatural wisdom and we need discernment. You're going to be successful in your business. You're going to be successful in your marriage. You're going to be successful in your life, your ministry, your home. You better have some discernment. So important. Not only do we need diligence and must we be discerning, but we must be devoted. You know, it's, it's amazing how far a, a man or a woman will go that's devoted to a cause. Think about it. You can read in the newspaper about men and women that are devoted to causes. The length that they'll go. The chances they'll take. The sacrifices they'll make when they're truly devoted. It's amazing. In his book, One Crowded Hour, Tim Bowden describes an incident in Bornea in 1964. This is one of my favorite stories. Nepalese fighters known as Gurkhas had asked if they would be willing to jump from airplanes into combat against the Indonesians. The Gurkhas didn't clearly understand what was involved, but they bravely said that they would do it. The only thing they asked was that the plane fly slowly over a swampy area no higher than 100 feet. When they were told that the parachutes would not have time to open at that height, the Gurkhas said, oh, you didn't mention parachutes before. Isn't that amazing? The only thing we're asking is that you fly no more than 100 feet and slowly and over the swampy area. Well, those parachutes will never open. What parachutes? You didn't mention nothing about that. We're just going to jump. I mean, honestly, think about that. You think that's crazy. No, that's devotion. They believed in a cause and they believed in what they were doing. And they were willing to pay a price, whatever the cost. The Christian life will often call us to respond in seemingly impossible ways. We'll be asked to hold our tongue when it seems there's no logical reason to do so. We're going to be required to forgive when our mind and our heart emphatically scream, No! I won't do it! We'll be called upon to love when there's nothing worth loving in our own eyes. See, devotion, first and foremost, has to be to God. Then to our duty. So many times we're devoted to a a job or we're devoted to a position, but let me tell you, for us as believers, our devotion is to the Heavenly Father first and foremost. In Acts chapter 17, verse 23, The Apostle Paul finds himself in Athens and he goes on to say, For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, speaking to the Athenians, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, whom I declare unto you. Him I declare unto you. Oh boy, you are, you are devoted, yes indeed. You Athenians are extremely devoted. But you're devoted to who? To what? Let me tell you who this unknown God is. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? Can you imagine being devoted to something and not even really realizing who or what it is? I believe there's a lot of Americans like that and I do believe there's a lot of Christians like that. We can be devoted obviously to idols too then. God wants you and I as believers to be devoted first and foremost to Him. Can I say you can be devoted to your wife or your husband more than God? You can be more devoted to your children, more devoted to your career, more devoted to your education, more devoted to anything or everything than God. But as a believer, we have no option in that area. God demands that we're more devoted to Him. and He deserves us to be after everything he's done for us. This idea that it's my choice and my decision and I have a right to do with my life as I please. No, we don't. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, we're to glorify God in our body and our spirit, which are God's. I'm sick and tired of women saying they have a right to do with their body as they please and they murder babies. Christians are no better. We say we have a right to do with our body as we please, although we've been bought with a price. We're such hypocrites. We'll point out the errors of those who are often lost and have no understanding of biblical truth and somehow place them on the same plane or level with us when in reality we've been given supernatural insight through the Holy Spirit and yet we make the same foolish mistakes. We have to align ourselves with this book and with God and we must realize devotion is an imperative and important aspect of our life. If you want to be successful in the Christian life, you will never accomplish success unless you're devoted. It. You can do, try it if you choose. Do what you choose. But I promise you this, you'll never succeed. You want to be a, a, a successful CEO, you're going to have to devote yourself to that mission and that job. And don't think you can't do both. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I think everything we do whatsoever... Thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. No half, whole hearted effort. If you're going to work at McDonald's, then you give it everything you got. If you're going to work for the city, give it everything you got. If you're going to be a Sunday school teacher, give it everything you've got. This half-hearted expression is not going to get the job done and it's not going to produce what you want, nor is it going to produce what God wants. It doesn't work that way. If we're going to be successful in our Christian life, successful in our Christian ministries, we have to be diligent. We have to be discerning. We have to be devoted. We must be dependent upon God. Number four, we must be dependent upon God. In what tangible way can we show our dependence on Him? What kind of tangible way? I believe that prayer probably demonstrates dependence as much as anything in the Christian life. Our prayer life. How how dependent we are on God is reflected in how valuable and important prayer is in our life. Martin Luther once stated, Pray as if everything depends on God, then work as if everything depends on you. Someone says, well, that's weird. You know, that doesn't... No, I think it's a good point. I think he makes a good point. Pray as if everything depends on God, then work as if everything depends on you. Well, when we pray, we're asking God to intervene in matters and... In matters sometimes that, honestly, we have no control over. We're unable to overcome them or to have victory. Only God can give us that. We say, God, listen, I need you. And maybe we can fix certain things, but how often do we pray about them? How often do we take for granted the fact that we can call upon the creator God of the universe? Why would we even take a chance on making a bad move or a bad decision when we have the opportunity to cry out and call upon God? Well, it's a simple decision. There's no, this isn't tough. This is an easy one. Well, at least mention it to him. Maybe he's got another road to travel. I'm not talking about a biblical truth. I'm not talking about you know, either obeying the word of God or not. You never even have to pray about that. No one ever has to pray, should I go to church today or not? You don't even have to ask that prayer. Should I, should I, should I read the word of God or not? What, what do you waste your time praying about something that's been commanded? Why, why do we pray about things we already know we're supposed to do biblically and scripturally? But there are so many things we don't know because God governs by principle most of the time. And when God governs by principle, that means that we're going to seek His face and we need that, 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 that wisdom that only God can give us. We need that understanding and, and, and we need God to, to help us as we said already in, in discerning what's right, what's wrong, what's best. Ian Bounds was the author of many books on prayer and he wrote this. He said, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use. Men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. Mary, Queen of Scots, could be heard saying, I fear John Knox's prayers more than more than any army of 10,000 men. Isn't that amazing? A man's prayer, she feared more than Armies. See, it's not going to be your effort or mine. It's not going to be our involvement. It won't be simply our input or our investment in a certain issue. The devil's not worried about you or me and our own strength and our abilities. We don't cause him to quiver or shake in his boots. The only time the devil gets concerned, the only time we really get his attention is when we're getting a hold of God. This matter of prayer is going to test our resolve, isn't it? If that's the case, then our prayer life is a reflection of our dependence upon God. How dependent are you and how dependent am I? C.S. Lewis once said, The moment you wake up each morning, all your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists in shoving it all back in listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other, stronger, larger, quieter life come flowing in, he said. I think that's a tremendous illustration and, 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 and a word picture that, that all of our wishes and hopes for the day rush at us like wild animals. I mean, I don't know, if you ever watched a Western? I, I've been watching some old Westerns on YouTube TV. Man, they got all kind of old Westerns. Man, I mean, it's, it's funny, you know, the cattle are, are just really taking it easy. They're relaxing in the evening, and all of a sudden, you know, there's a cow. That ain't a cow. My friend, I, I said there was a sound. You don't want me to get started on barnyard animals. I make good sounds. But they hear that, that 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 coyote out in the out in the hill or they hear that 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 animal animal out on the hillside and boy those cattle get stirred up. And then every every, every western there's somebody comes along and gets the horses, you know, and they start bouncing around and all of a sudden stampede, right? And they all take off running. And then they got to try to round up all them cattle. You know that stampede is reminiscent of what C.S. Lewis is talking about. He says, "Boy, you get up in the morning and you try to get alone with God, and then everything that the day that, that you're going to face in the day comes rushing at you like 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 cattle that are are being stampeded at you." He said, "You have got to push it all back." Well, that's not as e- that's a lot easier said than done, isn't it? I heard about a man who took his small son with him to town one day to run some errands. And when lunchtime arrived, the two of them went to a familiar diner for a sandwich. Well, the father, he sat down on the one, uh, one stool at the counter, and he lifted up his little boy and he put him on the seat beside him. They ordered lunch, and when the waiter brought the food, the father said, Now, son, we're just going to have a silent prayer now. Dad got through praying first. And waited for the boy to finish his prayer. He he just sat there with his head bowed. I mean, for a long time. When he finally looked up, his father asked him, he said, What in the world were you praying about all that time? With the innocent and honesty of a child, he replied, How do I know it was a silent prayer? Boy, I'll tell you what, let's make sure that we pray intelligently, specifically, and consistently. In James chapter 4, verse 2, the Bible says, Ye lust, and ye have not. Ye kill, and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight, and war. Ye have not, because ye ask not. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8 says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Boy, if you're seeking spiritual conquests, you're looking for spiritual victory in your life. You want God to bless your ministry. You want God to bless your family, your home, your relationships, your walk with the Lord. We got to pray. We've got to show our dependence upon God. We've got to be dependent upon Him. Finally, finally, not only must we be diligent, discerning, devoted, dependent upon God, but we must be dependable. Dependable. For an extraordinary pitcher, he performed few extraordinary feats. Though a veteran of 21 seasons, in only one did he win more than 20 games. He never pitched a no-hitter, and only once did he lead the league in any category. He had a 2.21 ERA in 1980. Yet on June the 21st, 1986, Don Sutton rubbed pitching elbows with the true legends of baseball by becoming the 13th pitcher to win 300 games. His analysis of his season is worth noting. He said this, quote, A grinder and a mechanic is what I am. I never considered myself flamboyant or exceptional, but all my life I found a way to get the job done. Boy, and get it done he did. Through two decades, six presidential terms, and four trades, he consistently did what pitchers are supposed to do, win games. He spent 21 seasons redefining greatness. He's been called the family sedan of baseball's men on the mound. You know, there have been men and women throughout history who have been noted for their consistency and dependability. Think about old Joseph maybe Daniel, those three Hebrew children, Paul, Barnabas. and Of course, who could ever forget Jesus? Today there's a great need for men and women who are dependable, who can be counted on. I wonder, can God depend on you? Can God depend on me tonight? I mean, in the world in which we live where it seems that we go from zero to a hundred in a matter of seconds in our lives. Is there a constant? We have to possess diligence, discernment, devotion, dependability, dependence upon God. If we're going to truly be successful in this thing we call the Christian life. It doesn't get done by those who just want to see it happen. It doesn't happen because we have a desire to be great for God. May God help us to have great hopes, great desires, great vision, big dreams. We need those but may we put feet to our prayers. May we not simply want, but may we be willing to work. Being diligent, discerning, devoted, dependent upon God, and dependable. Father, we come to you. Lord, we do want to see you do great things at Community Baptist Temple. We want to see you do great things in our personal lives, our families, our homes. Every parent in this room understands, I hope, how important consistency is, dependability is. Every dad and every mom understands what it means. to. I hope they understand what it means to be devoted to their family, their their marriage, their family. their their relationships, their children. Lord, it's going to take more than just a desire to obtain victory. Help us to be willing to pay the price, to do the work, put forth the effort, take the steps needed to not only begin or to start, but to end strong, to finish strong. Well, thank you. We'll praise you for it. In Christ's name, let's all stand up.